Baxter Bowman podcast. If you're obsessed with the strategies, gear, and stories that will make you a better backcountry bow hunter, you're in the right place. We're independent, unsponsored, and unbiased, so we can cut the fluff and give you detailed advice on what really works and what doesn't. Today's going to be an awesome episode. Josh and I are doing our check-in, but there's a lot of really good info for folks that are considering a hunt this fall. We're going to talk about why he should probably apply to the Colorado draw if he's going to hunt there, and you should too, the status of drought in the Western big game states, and a lot of gear tweaks that we're working on at the moment. Hey, Josh. What's up, Baxter? Hey, man, uh, we're, uh, we're just looking at the stats on this, and I feel like we've got a pretty good critical mass of folks. Thank you, everyone, tuning in. I know, seriously. And I just want to give a shout out to people who've left us a review. I actually haven't looked at the Apple podcast or the Spotify reviews in a while. And wow, such nice, kind words uh, of encouragement. It really like fired me up to be like, wow, this podcast is actually reaching people and they're finding value of it. So yeah, shout out to all of you who left the review. Thank you. Thank you so much. Definitely makes a difference. For sure. We've talked about doing other things to actually make money off of this, but we haven't done them yet. So it's, it's, our, it's our reward for, for having a good time. And uh, hopefully you guys can tell, we just, we really enjoy it. So it's really cool to hear. Yeah. It makes I'm, the day for sure. I'm very lucky. I have a forum to just pick your brain on hunting once a week. Oh yeah. <laughs> right. Well, we both just get to, to dig on it, but, but yeah. I think today, so we're kind of doing one of our check-ins for guys that were here last year. We did monthly check-ins. We're doing them a little further apart this year. But this is a really applicable one for basically anyone who's hunting over the counter. Josh and I were just brainstorming what we wanted to talk about. And on the hit list is, you know, the Colorado draw and whether you should apply to it if you're going to do over the counter. We've got kind of some of the research I've been doing on the spot I'm hunting and kind of the status in the West as far as water and what the hunting year is going to look like. Some gear stuff I'm working on. You've got a crazy trip coming up to Hawaii. So I figure we hit all that stuff. Um, and a lot of valuable things for guys, uh, that are hunting this fall. Yes, sir. Let's start with the draw. I feel yeah. like this will probably be the most impactful topic that we can cover today. And also very applicable to me. Applicable yeah. To, well, you're, to uh, me. you know, so to, to play it back for the guys, you basically are, you're doing it over counter there's tags, but you didn't pick up an Idaho one. You were one of the unlucky guys. Um, and again, we don't have a preference for Idaho versus Colorado. I don't know why. They put a cap on Idaho. It was like everybody thought it was 10 times better. It's really weird. Um, but you didn't get a tag. Sad no, but sorry. true. Sad no. face. Sad face. Definitely been just sobbing in my room by myself that day. Yeah. We're trying to see if we can figure out some other stuff for you. But uh, Colorado is definitely on, on your list of like places to go. It's privy, really anybody's list, places to go mm-hmm. at this point. Um, so we're having a conversation we feared we'd tape around whether you should do the draw or not. Yeah. And for the brand spanking new hunters out there, what's two sentences on what a draw is? Draw is you can't get a tag unless you apply in a process beforehand. Okay. And only a certain amount of people get the tags. However, as we'll talk about today, there's certain units that you're pretty much guaranteed to draw no matter what. It's just, you wouldn't be able to walk up and buy those tags in the hunting season. Um, a true over-the-counter quote-unquote tag is one you can go to Walmart or go to a hunting store and buy the day you want to go hunting. Um, in a lot of states, people are used to that for deer just because like opportunity is crazy. There's way too many deer in the east. Uh, but in elk hunting, that used to be a lot more common. And now it's pretty much only Colorado. And I'm I'm 100% convinced they're going to do away with over-the-counter opportunities in the next few years. Um, they just can't keep scaling it. So live it up while you can. So there's a few 
I'm just diving into it, I guess. But there's basically there's a bunch of units that Colorado used to do over-the-counter rifle and over-the-counter archery for a massive swath of units. And you could just go and you pick up a tag and it applied to any unit. And in the last year or two, they've taken about half of those for archery and moved them to draw units. The good news is they're instant draw. It's like you put in for it, you're going to get it. Like you don't need to get points. Um, you don't have to, you know, you get a point each year, you apply, you don't need to get a few points to get them. But you got to be on your stuff because you need to apply by April 5th to get that, or you can only hunt the ones that are over the counter. And yeah, there's a lot of things that are happening there. Does that make sense? Yeah, that makes sense. Um, for the Colorado draw, what are the prerequisites to even buy one uh, or like enter? Yeah, you're going to have to submit your hunter safety, I believe, your hunter safety card online and then uh, create an account do all that stuff. You have to know generally, if you're going to do one of those hundred percent draws, you got to know which unit you're going for. And I've got a lot, a lot of guys have wrote me emails and I've actually been responding lately. I've been on top of it um, about which unit to go to in Colorado. And maybe we do a quick refresher on that, but you basically need to know your unit and have some of the semantics around, you know, and you got to have a credit card, get ready to get billed you know, seven or 800 bucks or whatever the heck it is. Um, so that's, that's basically all you need. But sounds gotcha. simple, but a little more complex sometimes. Yeah. So this one's one where you don't need to buy like the license and, and whatnot first. No. Well, you, I mean, when you pl- apply in the draw, I don't know what Colorado system is these days. I don't, I'm still banking points in Colorado, which is a bad idea. Honestly, I need to burn them sometime soon. It's a fool's errand to bank points in Colorado. Um, but you, I think you have to buy it if you're getting one of those units. You either are paying right now or you're paying when they put, draw it, which is going to be in like a month. So it doesn't really matter. You, you gotcha. got to pay upfront, right? Right. Yep. Um, and yeah, I think the thing about like picking a unit there in Colorado is, and I get guys all the time. We we talked about this in the first. For guys that are just tuning in, we did a whole series for Josh's first year of hunting. The first like episode one through what. 30 something. I don't even remember. <laughs> I don't even know. It's just like literally play by play of how to hunt over the counter elk. Um, and I keep getting the same freaking question. It's driving me a little insane. Um, don't feel bad for the guys that, that are hearing this that ask me the question because, like, I understand. I'm not, I'm not getting down on you. Um, but they obviously hadn't listened to that episode, which is they're like, well, which unit? Everyone's contacting me and saying, hey, that thing you give away free when you sign up for the newsletter, it's out of date. It's a year or two out of date. Can you update it? Can you update it? Um, and I don't have the time, but it's very simple. It, it should be like an hour. It's not that much effort if someone wants to just take that file and and do it for themselves. But the thing they're all asking is like, well, what's the success rate? What's the success rate? Which unit has the highest success rate? And uh, let's see if you remember why success rate isn't isn't the end all be all, Josh. You remember that? Yeah, I remember because there are other variables at play, like yeah. what kind of other hunters are hunting there and what's the size of the unit? What's the huntable size of the unit compared to the actual, like where the lines are. Um, I think yeah. that was, that was part of it. Cause it's, that it's, was, the, that's my main shtick. Yeah. Yeah. Cause it could be like a place where like, it's really hard to hunt and people are like, there's a bunch of very experienced hunters that hunt there. And yeah. Yeah. You basically don't know what's in the statistics, but you kind of do if you're in a if it's a unit that's all wilderness area then the only people that can really hunt there are people that don't road hunt which mm-hmm. means they're super fit backpacking intense people and so even if it has a 14 or 15% success rate you know that's 
out of the hundred guys, 80% of them are freaking hardcore. <laughs> so would you rather hunt a unit where 14% of it, of all hardcore guys do well, or would you rather hunt a unit that's got a ton of roads in it and it's all road hunters and they still have a 10% success rate or 8% success rate? I'd pick the one with the 8% success rate every day of the week. Because yes. <laughs> if you put in any amount of effort to get away from the road, you are going to be covered in elk because no one's doing it in that unit. Right. Um, and so what guys forget is that like the success metrics mean nothing because you don't know what's there. I think the only, the only thing I use success metrics for is to make sure it's not a complete dog of a unit, right? So, like it's a two or three, four or 5% success rate, like really bad. Um, but if it's you- anything anywhere near average, which is like eight to 10%, if it's anywhere near that, even above whatever it is, I'm totally fine with it. Okay. It's more about so- where you go within the unit, you know? Yeah. So you normally draw the line at like, what would you say is like your deal breaker percentage or is that too, is there more nuance to that? There's not really a hard, fast rule. There's not a hard, fast rule, but it's really obvious. It's not like, Oh, I wonder it's like, you look at, you know, if you look at Colorado, the average across all of them is like eight or 10% and you'll see some units that are like three and like four, right? Like here in, here in Idaho, I'll, I'll give a great example for folks like unit 39 right here in Boise, the success rate on archery elk for that is if you do draw one or whatever, is like 3%. Yeah or 2%. And that's because there's just a ton of people in that unit because it's right here and there's not as many elk and it's just, yeah, it's a mess. So you like, yeah. avoid that like the plague, but that only really whittles down like one out of every 20 units. Um, and so then guys all are like, well, which of those units, which of those units? I think everyone views this like gambling. Maybe this is the quote of the night. <laughs> here we go. Everyone views it like gambling where they're going to get lucky if they choose the right unit and shoot an elk. And I think my favorite Nike ad of all time is luck is the last dying hope of the unprepared. And that is exactly what you're doing. If you think you can choose a unit and be successful because you chose the right unit, you know, like it's more about choosing, doing the research to know where to go to a unit and how to hunt. So there's my little rant for the night. Yeah. I remember saying every unit, like it's way more important where you choose within the unit than what unit you choose. Totally. You drop me in any unit, in Colorado. Um, and I'd be very happy to hunt there. I wouldn't be like, ah, oh, screw this. Yeah. But, but I do think the thing that guys, unfortunately we don't have a large customer base yet. We've got a pretty good one, surprisingly large. We're talking about, but like, we're not talking to the entire hunting public. So we can say <laughs> stuff like this, but if people are going to hunt Colorado, I would probably go for one of those draw units because they are capped with the amount of people you can be in versus the ones that are still over the counter. You're basically concentrating all these guys into fewer and fewer units, they are going to be just overrun right. with people. Um, which as we talked about hunting pressure, humans actually can be good because they push the elk to a certain area, but there's, there's a limit to that too. And I think when they've taken the number of units down by half, it's not going to be super pretty. I mean, I'd still go if that's your only option, but like, it's not going to be glorious or anything. Yeah. And so with the draw, how should people, what should they consider if they're strategizing for the Colorado draw this year? Yeah. You can just look at, uh, man, I don't want to dovetail. We did a whole episode on the draw. I think it was earlier this year, last year. So guys can go listen to that. But the sad news in the West is basically those point systems that are put in place um, only rewarded the guys that got in in the nineties and anyone starting now is basically behind the eight ball and you're never really going to get an amazing tag. Um, mm. You might get a mid-tier or low-tier tag in twice the time you think it's going to take you because there's going to be point creep. 
which is just basically if there's 50 opportunities and there's 200 guys and you add 50 guys every year, <laughs> it doesn't take you know, 200 divided by 50, four years to keep adding 50 guys every year. It becomes five years, then six years, then seven years. That's called point creep. Right. Um, so I wouldn't be, if I was guys, I would not be banking any points in a, in a state like Colorado that's pure play preference point and you don't know exactly what unit you want and you haven't watched for point creep for a few years. So I would say my only way I would approach the draw in Colorado would be to go to one of those units that is a hundred percent odd. So essentially you're just getting a quote unquote, you know, over the counter tag, but you're just buying it now in the draw, right, right? right? And you're, you're stopping anyone else who shows up late in August and is unprepared from, from getting on that tag. You know, there's only right. a thousand slots or whatever. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. And there's the way to find that out is you go to Colorado stats and just look at this, um, the draw rates, um, look, looking for the terms. I'm not, I don't know. I can't remember Colorado off the top of my head, but we'll just go look at their stats of the draw statistics and just mm -hmm. see what units everyone drew a tag last year and apply to uh, one of those. And okay. they're almost all the South East part of Colorado. Gotcha. Uh, which is, you know, where I hunted my first, uh, first two years. What's my record now, Josh? I don't remember. <laughs> it's like, uh, let's I'm like see. five for five for six or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> but <laughs> darn you, Margaret, um, for ruining that. But, uh, no, uh, but those first two years, the first two years I got elk first two years I hunted, I got fortunate enough to shoot, um, two elk and they were both in Colorado Southeast there, which is those draw units. They're good places to go. Yeah, so Southeast Idaho, look at the stats, look at how many drew last year and how many got it. If it's 100%, that's interesting, the 100% draw odds. It's just so misleading. I get, I, it seems yeah. like something not a lot of people would know about. I don't know. I kind of don't understand why they did it. I mean, I guess it's, it's nice because if you're actually prepared and you're actually on top of it, you're the type of guy that listens to these podcasts and does his research, you have an opportunity to get somewhere that's effectively capped and it won't be completely and utterly overrun with other hunters. And you're still going to see a lot of pressure with 800 people in a unit. You know, it's, it's basically just an overcount of the unit. So that's nice. But at the same time, it puts so much pressure on the other units and it's kind of effectively, if you're being sinister about it, it's their way of pushing that go to all draw. Cause you do that. And then it's going to be such a bad experience. Everyone's going to complain and mm. it's going to get worse and worse and worse. And the only way to fix it is to go all draw. Interesting. Which is more revenue for the state. Uh, so I see that's it. the sinister side of it. <laughs> but I would, I mean, I'm sure I'd have to talk to some biologists there to get the full story. I can't, I can't make a call as to why they made that decision. I see. Yeah. That, that sinister side of it. And that reminds you of like, got to follow the money, right? And there all the money, baby lies yeah. the answer. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's yeah. the reality of big game hunting. I mean, the vast, vast majority of state wildlife budgets and outdoor parks and rec come from big game hunting in the West. So, they need to make the money and with budget cuts and a lot of really not so smart politics has started to finally come in and we're not going to be done with this. This is not what we do on shows, but politics has started to come in from in Colorado overrode uh, fish and game and made the wolf introduction, a political thing. Mm. And so now politics has even invaded fish and game, which is the saddest thing ever. Um, and so when they, they start making decisions like that, these organizations, are going to start suffering and have to spend money on things they don't want. So they have to do things like this and turn money. So it's really, oh, we're not going to go down that road, but I really, really wish that it, 
it hadn't got to that, but it's getting there in all these states. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Damn, that's brutal. Yep. Sad. Anything? Yeah. Sad. Any, anything else on the Colorado draw for this year? Oh, I guess it's coming out here in a few days. It's April uh, 5th. So we're, 5th. we're right up on the deadline guys basically have five days. Um, so my, I mean, my take on this is if you know, you're going to Colorado this year, this is mm-hmm. for you too, Josh. It's like, it's a no brainer. Yeah. Just pick it. And like, don't stress on the unit. Just look at all those ones that drew out a hundred percent. Go look at their success rates. You can download the file that, you know, if you sign up for the pot or the uh, newsletter on BaxterBowman.com, our little shameless plug, um, it'll send you that file. I do a bunch of analysis that no one else is doing around the, the amount of public land um, and the, the actual true success rate based on the number of hundred days. Mm-hmm. Uh, just use that. Yes, it'll be, it's out of date two years, but like you can just look up the stuff on Colorado and compare it real quick and go, these are all those units. Take a quick look at Google Earth and go, oh, I like that unit. That looks good. Or that's closer to me. We've talked about that before. Your time hunting is way more important than driving past another unit to get to a quote unquote better one. Just just pick a unit. Just freaking pick one. So, um, yeah, you'd be way better off that way, I think. Okay. Sounds good. Yeah, I may be doing that <laughs> here in the next yeah, few days. Yeah. I'm going to have to design. Um, cool. Next should we talk about East yeah. County? It's like, well, maybe we talk about Hawaii for you, man. Okay. Uh, well, I mean, I guess maybe we do all you and then we could do, do me and some East scouting stuff and kind of the status of what the season's looking like this fall in the West. Yeah. Yeah. It sounds good. But you're, uh, you're, uh, I don't know if you've told the people yet, but you are living pretty much the dream <laughs> and you're doing here in a month or two. Yeah, so I've been doing the digital nomad thing since January of 2021. Slowly drove across the country. Actually, stayed at one of our listeners' house. Uh, thank you so much. And <laughs> yeah, we can leave. Uh, we'll leave island names and people names out of this too. Yeah, 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 for sure. Uh, and then uh, last year, got to go to Hawaii to hunt for what seven, eight days, something like that. And then this year, I'm going to go back to Hawaii. Working, I've been working remotely this whole time. This year, I'm going back. Pretty much the whole month of May, so and a little bit more. So about five weeks, I'll be in Hawaii hunting probably four or five days a week, which will be pretty sweet. Um, and yeah, hum- hunting with a guide out there for the most part and actually helping to him assist as well. So we'll, me and my buddy are going to be assistant guides and filming and taking photos. Yeah. And he's going to want to come on the podcast. So we'll be sharing lots of lessons and culture from, from that experience. So to summarize, Josh is getting paid. Well, he's hunting every day in Hawaii. And he's <laughs> Life and is going to be rough for a month. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be a good month. Um, so yeah, in preparation, <laughs> in preparation for that, my back injury is good. It's like just a little bit of soreness every now and then after a run, it's not too bad. If I hike it actually, my back's not sore at all. So yeah, that's good. I think it may be just like the pounding on the pavement or something. Um, so yeah, this month focused on, I think just slow zone two cardio and, uh, Mm -hmm. some strength training for the shoulders and the back a little bit, just nice core, especially core. It's kind of like not too extreme, Uh but just want to start to, move into direct before it was like rehab phase now it's like moving into strengthening phase yeah and then it's sad because i don't have my bow here in new york city it's i mean it's hard to find a shop and practice here i'm sure and right. to lug it fly it's it probably illegal <laughs> <laughs> i know it's illegal to carry a knife around here yeah, um, which is insane but uh yeah so <laughs> i unfortunately will not be able to practice the archery side of things till i get there um although i have been able to pick things up 
quite quickly. I'm just going to have to be honest with myself about what range I shoot at and whatnot, but yep. I've got time there. So yeah, the luxury and no pressure for sure. Well, I think you're like a lot of guys see this time of year, which is, you know, we harp on folks to try to practice year round, but the reality is a lot of guys start picking up the bow right about now and shooting a lot more. Um, and I think the, like consistency is always the killer. And so if you can't be consistent year round, like I think if you know you get back on it and you're shooting, it's like shooting three times a week for a few months is really in fact, I mean, that, that really gets you tuned up. So it's, yeah. I think, you know, we, I think on this podcast, we're super technical and anal, or at least I am <laughs> sorry, Josh, but like, I feel, I feel like life happens and that's just a reality. And like, you can, you can be really, really effective with archery if you just get consistent, you know, it's never too late. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I feel like when you pick it up and you're shooting all the time, I do feel like it's a really good idea to wind down the bow a little bit. Yeah. That was a lesson learned the hard way for me. Um, and yes, no apologies for being too technical and anal. We all benefit from it. Yeah. Right. No, it's, that's what this is. And go to other podcasts (laughs) if they want to hear two dudes yelling. (laughs) (laughs) Oh man. There's plenty of those. Um, yeah, well, that's six. So, how many how many arrows are you taking? Actually, this is what I wanted to ask you. I am taking. Tw- I built a brand new set back in January in preparation for white of twenty four arrows. <laughs> twenty four, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I know we were talking about this elk, where it's like you really don't need more than like six, but you know, take twelve anyway, just to feel better. Good, but I feel like axis deer hunting, like you actually will need twenty four. <laughs> yeah, and I'm going to be there a long time. Um, yeah, true that. Yeah, yeah. So built a freaking very very nice my my best set of arrows so far yeah. the whole range in weight it's like 1.1 grams or something like that between the 24 it's not quite baxter level but, but so far it's my, dude, my my best set grain grain is like i said my great you know from all my testing a grain is basically a inch at 100 yards so if you're within a grain you you've got them to a point where they're it's the indian not the arrow you know which is where we all want to be yeah, I think mine's within a gram, or I don't know. I don't remember the scale. It's probably I, a great. I think you bought the grain scale, right? From Frank Arsenal. Yeah. Yeah, that's yeah. the same one you have. That's yeah, a grain scale. Oh, snap. Okay, yeah. then I'm pretty Because a gram is a lot of grains. Gotcha. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Yeah, I'm pretty that's crazy on that. What's well, a good? That's great. And hopefully, you have a few left over for elk season two. You don't have to build another batch. Yeah. Yeah. Hope fingers. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I've been yeah. very torn lately about like building a set of target arrows or just shooting the same ones I'll shoot for elk. Oh, interesting. You okay. know, cause I feel like, I feel like it's so great to shoot the same arrow all year long. You just yeah. get so used to the trajectory and the gapping the pins and all that stuff. But same time, it's kind of exciting to shoot something 50 feet a second faster and, you know, just put target points in it. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Was, I, I well. I'm always, I'm the simple guy. So I just, I haven't even changed my arrow setup since the beginning. I don't like to. Well, it works so well (laughs) on that elk and everything. It's been, we put a lot of thought into those, but I feel like they're, they've worked really well for you. Yeah. So arrows for you is the target stuff starting to become more and more appealing as you got your new bow and. Oh yeah. Well, I didn't tell the people, right. Uh, Um, Oh, I don't want to move on before we wrap up from Hawaii. Right. Oh, okay. But yes, you're. I'm trying to think of other things that are really applicable for guys. We'll obviously do a lot of a lot of episodes when you're there just to, to talk about the opportunity that's there. But um, what other things are you like worried about or thinking about? Or because it's the cool thing about it is you're effectively prepping for hunting season three, four months early. Right. That's yeah. the that's it's the lucky get part. You tuned up. 
Yeah, I think some thoughts going through my mind. I I might be too lax about this actually because I've got so much time there. Mm-hmm. Um, and our guide has been really chill with us, like in terms of pricing and stuff. He said, you know, I helped him build his website, and we're we're going to be helping him film and whatnot. Yeah, yeah. So that's really chill. Um, I don't think I'm. Ah, the only thing I'm worried about is like I definitely cannot injure my back. You know, yeah. if that happens, it's all over. Which I mean, maybe I can do some light hunting with the right, like rifle, but, um, you know, we may be pig hunting and possibly with a knife, <laughs> Oh, geez. which that the full Hawaiian me. experience. Yeah. That worries me a little bit. Actually, that yeah. worries me a lot of it. What, what are your thoughts on all of that? Sounds risky. Sounds like a good trip to the hospital. If you get gored. Yeah. That's a, yeah. uh, I know the the Hawaiian guys are their next level. Then that's, uh, that seems like a recipe for disaster. <laughs> yeah. So I'm like, I don't know about that. I'm going to have to learn a little bit more about exactly how they want to approach that. Yeah. But knife and a pig seems pretty intense. Well, you think you, you hit something. It's kind of related to that, but something interesting there, which is we harp all the time. If you guys listen to all our episodes on physical fitness and how it's like basically physical fitness and your pair of boots are the two things you need for elk hunting. <laughs> like, like that's all that matters, you know? Um, but I feel like the injury prevention aspect of fitness is also really huge, you know, because you're consistently working out hard and you're stretching and you're performing great self-care. Like it's a lot harder to get injured, you know? Yeah. Yeah. One injury so just takes you out. Takes like you out. Yeah. Yeah. And then you got to rebuild too. So it's not only you're out for that period, but you're not yep. building, you're digressing. Yeah. It's, it's just all yeah. bad. And it's a weird period now with COVID and a lot of other things. You get COVID, you can't go on a trip on a plane. You can't, you know, I got COVID and it took me out for a month, you know, Um, Mm -hmm. not like super sick. It was very mild. I just was very fatigued for a while. Right. Um, And that, you know, I think a lot of guys are used to the, like, I'm going to cram like a test, you know, last month or two of fitness, I'm going to jam it in. Mm -hmm. Like you might get COVID in August and like, that's your elk trip. You know, like you're not going to be you're not going to be hunting hard if you get COVID early August and you're already out of shape. But if you've right. been super good shape for a while, you get COVID or you get an injury or something, and then you get back on it. Um, right. You're going to be in great shape. So that's why I'm excited for you to go to Hawaii. Cause you're going to be tuned up on all your gear, your mentality and your fitness and just keep it rolling right into September. Yeah. Cause I'll come back in June, got two months of just keeping it up, keep building. And then, get to um august and last month of maintaining and then boom september so yeah i'm I'm pretty stoked on that um i'm really excited about all the lessons and like the learnings i think i think hawaii will be a just a master class in stalking because Mm -hmm. those animals are so quick so twitchy so twitchy so just to get a lot of hours of stalking a lot of hours of tracking as well tracking Mm -hmm. animals and just just learning the behavior yeah. Um, and man, I'm going to come back like three shades darker, probably. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I would have more freckles. You'll be darker. Yeah. <laughs> Every year. We're just kidding. Yeah. yeah. Oh, man. Um, that's awesome. Well, we'll definitely, you know, for people that want to listen, um, we will definitely pull together a lot of your learnings for that month because you're going to, it's going to be like an accelerator program for you. Yeah. Um, yeah. It'd be really sure. cool. Really, yeah, really lot- cool. Maybe we we could do more episodes, or if people are interested, maybe I can even do like little solo episodes of lessons or something. Just yeah. if people like that content. Um, sure. uh, yeah, Hawaii's gonna be fun. 
Yeah, gonna be good. Well, I'm all I'm all pleased with myself at the moment because I'm holding my brand new RX7 Ultra in Dude. my my hands. I was showing Josh before the the uh, the podcast here, so that's kind of my big my big update for the the season is the bow getting tuned up and getting used to it. It's been freaking amazing to pick this thing up. Yeah, I think and it looks sweet. And everything yeah. I hear from our buddy D, who also got the same bow, he didn't even talk to you. You guys both just decided that was the best bow for you. And yeah. man, he said that draw is smooth for him and feels really good in his hands. He said he can also hold it forever. It just doesn't feel like he felt like yeah, he yeah. can turn the poundage up on it. It's so. just it's a dream to shoot. Yeah, and it's stable as hell. Um, yeah, yeah I've, I had a horrible experience at the bow shop here in Boise, which will remain nameless. Um, I don't like to throw people under the bus, even if they did horrible stuff, um, unless it was like illegal or something, but you know, I wasn't too stoked on it. I picked it up. It was like kind of upset and I got home and shot it once. It was like, Oh yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, yes. Um, it's been really good. So it's, it's been fun, but I think, uh, you know, new bows and expensive new bows aside, like it's that time where everyone's picking up the bow. And so I am too effectively and just kind of getting, getting used to it, tuning it. And I think you, one thing, a lot of guys, as we're talking about getting ready for the season, I think this is like the best time of the year to experiment. Um, and I think a few things, guys, there's a bunch of things guys should really be playing with. Um, so if one is, I think the most important of all things you can adjust on a bow by far, bar none is the micro micro tuning, the draw length. Um, so maybe we do a whole episode on that for guys to, to go through, but the quick version is you can use those 80, 85, 90% let off that effectively adjusts the draw length by like an, an eighth of an inch. You can twist cables. You can actually backing off the bow extends the draw length because it changes the geometry of the bow. Um, you can move. There's basically two draw lengths that matter from the string to your, where you anchor and then from the actual draw length of the bow, which is just the string, you know, to um, inside of the grip. But a lot of guys forget about that uh, release, uh, especially if you're using a finger puncher like we are. Um, you can adjust the length of that and your D-loop string. That's a very, very important draw length adjustment. So we'll have to do a whole episode on that. But I think experimenting with those things, learn how to tie a D-loop, try some different D-loop lengths, play with your draw length. The difference in an eighth of an inch, people think I'm anal and technical, but if you, if I take you and I give you an eighth of an inch difference in draw length, mm-hmm. if you're close to your right one to begin with, which a lot of guys aren't, we can talk about that too. Um, you'll be astounded at how much more stable the bow holds. Uh, you'll, you won't be like, oh, I wonder if that's better. You'll be like, wow, better or worse instantly. It's like the, an eye appointment, you know, he's like better one, better two. Right. Um, it's just, most guys don't know how to, or take the effort to. So I'd say playing with that. I'd say playing with the poundage, you know, really finding a poundage that's good for you. If you have your set of arrows built, um, winding the poundage up and down to tune for the arrows themselves and see what groups well with your spine, no matter what you do on a calculator or another thing, like that's the only thing that matters. So playing with that, um, really good. You can try different mods out, modules in the, the bow if it's so equipped, um, and then you can kind of tune it. And then I think a big one, for me too, is when I pick up a brand new bow like this, I actually don't put a sight on it or even tune it up for like a month. I shoot, just blank bail it the entire time and all, like I said, micro tune the draw length just to see the, the pin flow and how that feels. I will um, 
play with the poundage like I talked about. And then I'll also uh, work on just tuning it to get to know it with a bunch of different sets of arrows just to kind of play with it. And um, I know that sounds crazy, but like that, just that process of like trying 10 different stabilizer lengths and um, all that sort of tweaking and tuning, moving your arrow quiver around, moving your sight in and out to get the peep perfectly centered, you know, that just little tiny things like that. It's a really good time of year to be doing that. Um, so that's what I'm doing. I think it's a great thing for guys to do because this is a month or two, you can do it. You know, in a month or two, month or two from now, you kind of have to start getting everything tuned right to really go compete in a in an archery thing, or just like actually be shooting at the range and being able to tell if it was you or the bow, you know, where the right. arrow hit. Right. Yeah, totally. And now would be a good time to buy things because Yo, stuff yes. is taking yes. a while, dude. It is taking a while. I tried to get a quiver for this thing, and they're like, ah, they might be here before uh, hunting season in September. So if you're listening to this podcast and you have essential things you need to go hunting this fall, tents, sleeping bags, boots, bows, uh, even backcountry food. We've been over this in that the course, but a lot of guys haven't listened to it. Like that stuff you got to get now because uh, you may not get it in time. And also you just may get horrific prices in two or three months. Yeah, I bought a bunch of backpacking food yeah. last year. And I mean, that stuff sits forever. So might as well yeah. just stock up. Um, yeah, so yeah. that's another tip for people. Get your shopping list out now. Yeah, well, maybe we'll do like a whole tuning episode on on the bow. Because I think a lot of guys, the thing I'll say about a bow is like, yes, an RX-7 Ultra sounds really cool. And I wish I had two grand and all that stuff. I get that a lot on things. But like, I would take... A PSE Stinger, three hundred dollars single cam bow or no cam bow. Um, what's the word? No, what am I looking for? It's not no cam. It's a um, frick. It's what Matthews used to be. Wow, great night. I would take fully tuned for me over absolutely every day of the week over a top of the line bow that a that a bow shop said, "Yeah, here you go. That's your draw length." Every day of the week, way more accurate way better performance because it's actually going to penetrate an animal the arrow is not going to fly crooked um and that people i say that and people are like what four hundred dollar bow versus a two thousand dollar bow yeah so we'll, we'll do a whole episode on that for folks but if you just basic things you can do to tweak and tune that make massive differences there um so anyway we'll, we'll get off that for now we'll go record another one on that uh but maybe we were finish off on some really valuable stuff for guys come out this fall and talk a bit about some of the research i've been doing and just kind of what what the water year is looking like. How's that oh sound? yeah. So you mentioned the drought. Yeah. So we're, so I'm up in Idaho now. Right. And then, you know, a bunch of buddies in Colorado and I mean, the general gist of it so far, we're, it's now April one. So 90 plus percent of the volume of snow and water in the West has been delivered or not delivered this year. Uh, so we kind of have a good idea of what the year's looking like. And it's another dry one on top of another dry one. Um, so you know, last year we had some really interesting behavior. So it's probably worth a little discussion where I actually thought you're know, traditionally speaking, the elk have followed, Oh, I got to get this in there for guys that are thinking about doing those Southeast Colorado units. One thing about those Southeast units is those elk are completely different than elk in 90% of the places that are subalpine. Whoa. The majority of those elk uh, in Northern Colorado, Idaho, Montana, Wyoming, they feed um, they're kind of near tree line and they tend to feed, um, down 
So they'll mm-hmm. go, they'll bed at night. Um, they'll go up, they'll feed up in that stuff above tree line at night. Mm-hmm. And then they'll come down and they'll bed in tree line during the day. Hmm. Right. So effectively, um, sorry, I'm screwing this up. <laughs> effectively, if you are chasing, you're chasing elk up in the morning in most places, right? They're going up to bed right up at tree line and they come down at night into the valleys, right? Right. In Colorado, in those places that are 14,000 feet in Southeast Colorado, the elk do the opposite. What? They go up the mountain at night to go feed in the high alpine and totally exposed basins. And then they come down in the afternoon to go bed at tree line. So it's, it's a very odd thing. And it was one of the reasons I, I figured that out very quickly the first two years I hunted there. And that's part of the reason I killed an elk is that middle of the day, they'll actually be loitering up high right at tree line. And then they'll go uphill from there at night. Whoa. So if you were in Colorado and you're hunting one of those units, you need to be at like 11,000 feet. Wow. Um, the number one reason people get smoked in Colorado is they don't go high enough, especially in those units. So the little nugget there for folks. Whoa, um, that's crazy. Yeah. But um, the other thing this year is it's so dry. And what we saw last year was really interesting is in traditional units that aren't, aren't like Southeast Colorado, a lot of the animals actually ended up coming all the way down to the river basins because traditionally when there's enough snow and it melts, you know, it's, it melts through the summer and the higher you go, the more snow is melting and the greener stuff is right. Mm-hmm. Snow completely melts off in like end of August where it doesn't melt off at all. And so if it gets, if they need more green stuff, they go higher and higher and higher. It was so dry last year that there was no snow in like mid July, late June, even in some places. And so elk actually went completely full circle and would came down to the Creek bottoms to eat the willows and a lot of the stuff on the bottom, because huh. there was no other green. They just had to be by these creeks to get anything green. Um, and I think we're looking at another year like that. So I've been scouting different things. I've been looking at different areas just with that in mind, that water consistent year round water sources are going to be far more important this year. Um, so if you're on Google earth, we talked about that scouting episode, go listen to that. But if you're looking within the unit, look for areas that have consistent creeks in August, September, October, every year, if there's water in them and that's where you want to hunt. That's going to be extra important this year. Um, so I've been playing around a lot in the area I've been in. Um, and I think it's a cool, it's something I was thinking about today. There's always this tension between going somewhere, you know, is good and going and like rolling the dice on somewhere new. Right. But I like, I try to always, we've talked about how the best scouting you can do by far is scouting and hunting season. Mm-hmm. So I'm kind of trying to keep things fresh and like keep adding spots into my repertoire. And I've got, you know, three or four. So even for guys that aren't going on their first hunt this year, I think it's really important to look at where you were last year. Think about all the things that happened, your trail cams, if you've got those and go, okay, like these are the, get scientific about it. Go this altitude, this type of terrain, this steepness, you know, I don't really believe in the South North facing slopes thing, but if that's something you believe in write down that, where did you see elk? What did they look like? And then apply it to this year. And i kind of did that, just wrote it all down. And it was very consistent. I was like, wow, that's the recipe, that height, that location, that amount of water, that type of terrain. And, uh, like Josh, just to blow your mind a little bit, if you think about all the elk we saw last year, they were all in like flatter spots, marshy, meadowy areas, 
mm-hmm. at high elevation. Yeah. Think about it. They all had to get to spots where the water dispersed a little bit and created grass. Oh, so like when you got right. near that one, it yeah. had, um, it was kind of that marshy little mini stream thing where you shot yours. Mm-hmm. And then when I shot mine was that little marshy meadow thing at high altitude. Right. Right. And the areas we hadn't seen them that we saw them the year before weren't like that. Right. And right. so when I really put that together, then my scouting got a lot more focused and I've looked at a bunch of different areas that I've eyed for years. And I'm like, dude, we got to go there this year because mm-hmm. that's, that's the recipe for success in a dry year. Um, Dang. That's crazy. So this year is definitely like water, you know, they need food, water and safety, right? Like bedding. And I yep. guess for out of that equation, water will be pretty key. Unless we have some crazy wet, rainy April through, you know, call it June, but or or just entire summer, right? I I just don't see a world where it's any any less bad than it was last year as far as dryness. Um, the other thing I would say to guys is we had a lot of forest fires, tons of forest fires last year. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it's going to be as bad or worse this year because what happens in dry years, you get a ton of growth early on. Mm that stuff grows up really high, then it dries out and becomes incredible fuel for forest fires. Oh, I see. I see. And so I would, you know, we've always said A, B, and C spots. I would say like, uh, what's, what's another language? What's A, B, and C? Like, like what's, a, B, C, and a one, two, three. <laughs> yeah, one, two, three, like a whole nother unit area or like, you know, like things that are far away because you might get smoked by a forest fire or the area you were in might get smoked and you got to go 50 miles away, not five. Right. Um, so I would think, you know, kind of outside the box on a few of those things yeah. this year. How about the spots that were forest fire last year? I've heard people talk about like that could be good to hunt the next year or the, maybe like two years later or something like that. Is Oh, yeah. What, what do you think about stuff like that? Absolutely. Deer and elk love that because what it does is it puts all the nutrients back in the soil. Firefighters, uh, I know, have said literally as the fire's burning, they'll watch elk and deer running into where it burned, you know looking for looking for stuff oh like afterwards afterwards yeah um uh, because what'll happen is it'll rain you know when it burns in september it rains on it and then two weeks later there'll be green grass and the elk uh, them on it so what i'm not saying is like that's a magnet only go hunt there and like you probably don't want to be in the middle of a hundred mile burn because there's not really many places for them to to hide. bed and get shade and hide and they don't love that but like the edges of a forest fire from last year phenomenal area to be interesting um, not bad at all yeah i don't know if i've ever really. walked through an area like that you, you would know right immediately yep. like whoa this oh is, yeah okay yeah yeah it's yeah. like uh it looks looks like something out of hell or i mean it's brutal like, my granddad's place burned down in california two years in a row and it's oh man it is terrifying looking um whoa but yeah it's it's great and it's especially if you're a rifle hunter incredible it's kind of hard to hunt the open part of a burn as a bow hunter too that's the other thing oh. you kind of need to be near the edges Mm-hmm. Um, unless there's a ton of like little undulating terrain you can mess around in, but as a rifle hunter, you've got a lot of exposure, makes it a lot easier to glass and you can get close enough to them, you know? Right. Gotcha. Yeah. So that's, that's just a few of the thoughts that are going through my head. And as I'm kind of constantly tinkering and looking at Google earth and looking at trail cams and replaying the season, getting all fired up about next season. So Hopefully that's really helpful, guys. I think there's some really good nuggets in there. Um, yeah, yeah. Earn out west right now. Oh, for sure. I think that Colorado draw nugget right there. That is such a key. Like, I don't know how many people actually know that. Like, they, yeah. they think about a draw and they're like, ah, oh, wait, 
you know, it's like a lottery, but yeah, they're a hundred percent draw essentially, uh, yeah. units out there. So, um, yeah. the pursuit continues, <laughs> continues. Yeah. Well, that's our, that's our check-in for now. Um, as always guys, like really like, like Josh and I said, starting this off makes our day when you leave reviews and recommend this to people, you know, but also just, uh, when you contact us, shoot us a message. It's really cool to chat with guys here, how they're doing and stuff. Um, so yeah, if you, you went on a hunt last year and you have a touch base too, we'd love to hear how it went and all that. We would love to have um, folks on as well. If you've got a story or, you know, say you want to just walk through, do like a live consult, you know, what's, you know, here's my gear, here's my plan. Here's what I'm doing. It'd be really fun to kind of talk through that with a few folks as well. So if you're interested, reach out, shoot us a message. Uh, yeah, I think super. that's all we've got, right, Josh? Did I miss anything? Yeah. No, no, no. I think so. Man, I get so fired up after every single one of these. It's, it's, it. Oh gosh, it's just fun to strategize at so many different levels. And I didn't realize how dynamic the landscape could be like with the drought this year and how, how much everything changes every year. It's yeah. Yeah. No wonder you can really never master this. That's the coolest thing about this is like everything else in life. You can read the book, do the course, you know, a hundred other people have done it. There's 20 experts hawking their wares on their website, you know, it, but this is like, there's no book for this. There's no nature is so incredibly complex that there's just no, no way to ever learn it all. Yeah. So like every day you're out there is a new thing. You learn something new, you understand something. And I think elk hunting is like fly fishing or some of these other ones. It's, it's a lifelong pursuit and guys have been doing it 50 years are still stupid. The smart ones, you know, the ones that actually are really bad at it, say they know it all, but the ones that are really smart, they're like, I'm just now learning things i never realized it's really cool right. to see. yeah well that's it folks we will be back in a couple weeks and then a couple weeks after that i'll probably be in hawaii maybe and yeah. uh yeah we'll have more more good good stuff coming